The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this post-draft edition of A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Denny Carter, Pat Corain, and Kyle Dvorak. We're going to be breaking down the 2022 draft from every angle, including the early Dynasty League landscape, veterans, winners, and losers heading into this season, the redraft landscape, just the draft from every single angle. But first, just, you know, wondering, it was a long weekend. I uh, just wonder if you guys have your wits about you. Finally, I'm informed that at one point we may have joked about the Ninja Turtles dying of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> and uh, just wondering where everyone's head's at right now. Well, I almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, you did. So it, did, it, it, it was did really funny. Like... We, we joked about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it felt uh, okay to joke about. That was like 14 hours before Pat locked himself out of his house in the middle of, what was it, day two? It was day two. Evening two of the draft, I locked myself out of my house. Can you explain I made it this back because for my next was, pick. Can you explain this? Because it was hectic. You know, we're like, I got this guy. I'm up next. Uh, this guy's up. Like, can someone tell me something about this guy? And it just randomly, you throw out, hey, while we're between picks, you guys should just know that I'm not in my house and I can't get back in the house. I How came upstairs happen? earlier in the night. My one-year-old daughter kept opening our garage door and going into the garage. So I locked it. And early, later, my family was outside just gallivanting about in the driveway. You know, something you do in the Midwest. And I went outside just to say, hey, what's up? Yeah, I just like posted a pic, just checking in on the fam. And I came back and it was one of those locks. This wasn't the deadbolt. It was like the lower lock where you can still open it from the inside, but it remains locked. Classic. That's a trap. That's a trap lock right there. And I was like uh, on my knees. First off, it's my wife. Like, please, God, don't leave me. (laughs) And then uh, I ask her, like, please, God, where's the spare key? I thought, you were just had one in her, her, I thought uh, you were locked out of your office. I didn't realize it was the house. God, no, the entire home. And it was like 7.30 p.m., which you know, was getting pretty close to bedtime. How was it being outside for the first time in months? Was that fun? I know you were forced into it, but. Well, you know, I'm part of the, the big lawn lobby. So I, I mow my lawn once a week. I'm outside for 68 minutes a week, and that's it. And if I'm out for even 69 minutes, I get a vitamin D poisoning. So I'm not allowed I do, to be I do love that's called a sunburn. I do love the idea of you just <laughs> kicking the door down. I got a blurb. I got a blurb. <laughs> we were the past we were, uh, strange. We, our, <laughs> our back porch, uh, we don't have stairs to the yard yet. We're kind of, we want to do it eventually, guys. We, we want to have stairs on this back porch real bad. Um, but we thought maybe we had left the back porch door unlocked, which would have required me like shivying and like climbing up a column. 
my wife like asked, oh, is that door unlocked? With the implication being, I would like climb up there. I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm not really going to die. Uh, right. That's something you, you do in college. You like everyone locks yeah, themselves out because you're 21 year old stupid people without developed brains and you lock yourself out. And I have taken a ladder from a neighbor up to a window to get into a house. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, wasn't was that a couple months ago or when was that, Cal? (laughs) It literally wasn't more than two years ago. It was 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 last semester, you know, so it was (laughs) was November. I could see Pat climbing, climbing into the window, open window up top, screaming about the Cardinals uh, having drafted a special teamer, you know, in the the fifth (laughs) round of having having to blurb that immediately. Which special teamer? I feel like they probably drafted like five of them. I, I think everybody drafted in the fifth and sixth round and seventh round are. Their special team. I think the Cardinals yeah, traded their first round true. pick for a special teamer. Am I right? Marquise Brown, punt returner. Jeez. Roasted. God, that's rough. Boom. Dead air. <laughs> I mean, the Bears are who we should be roasting here. They literally drafted a special teamer in the third round. Don't get me started. I can't, uh, I can't start my day oh, on this kind of bad juju. Velas Jones. Velas Jones. Velas. Who Jones. literally, guys, he, he played. And listeners, you have to you have to believe this. This is a thing I looked up. Uh, Velas Jones played. In the second Obama administration, okay, and he's now a rookie in the NFL. That that's an actual fact. I'm not making that up. Well, it, so a lot of you might be listening to this show on May second. Vilas Jones, not a joke, turns 25 years old in nine days. It's one of the two cardinal sins I posted on drafting, well, at least wide receivers, but this probably just applies to all players. You shouldn't draft players who I can see eye to eye with because I'm a very small human. I, you should not be in the NFL if you're my size. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. And you should also not draft players who are older than me because I'm not, I'm, I, I'm getting older. We all age, but man, I am not that far removed from college. And I was a young college kid. So if you draft a receiver that I can see eye to eye with, he's going to get dominated by physical corners. And if you draft a receiver that's as old as I am or older than I am, he probably had a late breakout. Age. He's not going to be good. Crane, you think teams, there's, should a team, you know, the NFL is, it's a league of trends. Like everyone zigs one direction, then you zag another should teams begin to disregard the age model and exclusively draft older players? You know, like I think the Eagles one time drafted a Canadian firefighter who was like 27. Uh, I can't remember that guy, that guard. Brandon anyone, Whedon? Anyone else remember this? The Eagles drafted like a thousand-year-old guard who was Canadian. I think he was literally a firefighter. Wow. I'll I'm glad I don't have this knowledge. This, this makes me glad I didn't start <laughs> with, uh, with the Road to World sooner because uh, I don't know who you're talking about. But, yeah, I mean, you know, age does matter quite a bit at wide receiver. I will say that the height thing, you know, Tyreek Hill was, I believe, 5'8". That's, that was, he was, he was listed as, as a prospect anyway. So the the height thing, I'm a little bit more willing to give teams the benefit of the doubt on, oh, yeah. even in the third round. But the age thing, it's, it's a pretty tough scene for the Bears there. Plus, was, you know, just like not being a productive receiver when you had six years to do anything. Yeah, that, that's right. It was Danny Watkins, by the way. He was a 27-year-old Canadian guard. The Eagles took in the first round. 2011 no way first round yeah it's legit i i thought pat was doing like some sort of bit or no, like no, not remembering construing stories I thought you were gonna <laughs> straight up yeah 2011 I... he had already been drafted into the cfl and what? he was currently a fireman at the frisco fire department which is uh, a noble pursuit because those are very important people so thank you but no good on the eagles for doing oh that probably god that is atrocious i thought you were gonna say like a six-round flyer like a feel-good story uh, no. he's a firefighter he's a big guy he can block maybe the first round he he was, uh, 20 he's a guard he better be able to block if he can block flyers, he can block a d tackle 
23rd <laughs> overall pick. He made 24 career appearances. He was out of the league after three years, uh, Danny Watkins. So, salute to yeah, the. Well, New he York made it long in the LaVisca Schnault, Will. So, <laughs> yeah, the well, New York fire, fire department literally saved, saved my life. life. This week, so uh, no. we do appreciate our firefighters. Really? Yeah, it's not a joke. The uh, carbon dioxide alarms were going off oh. on the basement, the first floor, and the second floor, and I live on the first floor, so that means there's a lot of carbon monoxide in the apartment. I thought that was. I thought this was a bit, so I apologize. And also, as a red, we, we made it American. a bit. We have made it a bit, but uh... every dumb thing anyone says in the show, everyone else is like, "You're joking, right? This is a bit." But like, we really do have a lot of dumb things. Like, no, there was a fire in the sewer. There's like currently a trench. There are uh, construction workers like digging what I can only describe as a trench on my street right now as they as they try to get get down to the sewer to figure out why there was uh flames coming from it earlier this week yeah well, new york yeah. sounds great though it does really sound like a nice place <laughs> it's great yeah brooklyn it's a beautiful day i mean well, everything you is have blooming. you have bodegas and no one else has convenience no one has though. bodegas that's why bodega famously an english word not not derived from another language it's the only place in new york that has uh that has this i love the bodega discourse it's great you guys pay six thousand dollars a month for rent but you have bodegas so you, you're good yeah, you yeah. Go. so you get it Grant, i just said the final word like any red-blooded american of course an alarm's going off and obviously you just ignore it i mean that's what you always do with the fire alarm. amen brother jenny and i were in a 50th floor hotel bar where there was an actual <laughs> fire we found yeah. out later and the alarm was just blaring and yep. no one moved an inch <laughs> yeah the the firefighters were a little bit uh they were like so did you hear the alarms they're like yeah but we were tired they're like yeah when you hear the alarms you leap because the alarms mean you might die we're like oh, that does sound it's uh, just your correct. opinion sir yeah um, it's just your opinion. All what right, are you, some sort of expert in fire? Yeah. Ooh, uh, we're going to start from the top, Karain, and just get to the heart of the matter as it pertains to Dynasty Leagues. We're going to talk plenty of redraft this show, too. We're going to be kind of bobbing and weaving. But, Karain, I just want to ask you, who is the rookie 101 in a class loaded with receivers but really, really slim on running backs? Who do you think should be the first pick off the board in Dynasty rookie drafts? I think – in most leagues, this includes super flex leagues. In most leagues, for most teams, it should be Brees Hall. However, I don't have any issues not taking Brees Hall. I have the 101 in a league where I may not take him. I have actually I have the 101 in a couple leagues where I may not take him. Yeah, a strange dynasty league expert with a host of 101s. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. You, want, you either want the one you want to win or you want the 101. That's, That's a good point. No, no middle. No middle. <laughs> but I'm in, yeah, I'm in spots where Brees Hall makes sense. I'm at spots where, you know, maybe you want to play a little bit more for the future. And I think Traylon Burks is an excellent prospect. He's my wide receiver one. People love Drake London as well. I get that. I don't have any issues if people want to take Drake London to the one-on-one. If you're a huge Garrett Wilson guy and you're just like, I'm I'm not leaving this draft out Garrett Wilson, I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad. It wouldn't like tilt me to see someone take Garrett Wilson one-on-one. Kenny Pickett is the guy that might tilt me a little bit. I don't really see Kenny Pickett is like a, a great 101 selection. So even but in a super flex, you wouldn't consider Kenny Pickett with the 101? I, I wouldn't, but it also wouldn't tilt me because he could be like he could be kind of like a Ryan Tannehill level producer and he's gonna have job security. So uh, you know, if you think about like kind of what Tannehill was going for, like let's say two years ago in super flex leagues, you could get a wide receiver or, or even a running back probably at a similar skill level to to the guys you'd be taking over Pickett. So I don't know. I don't hate it. I just I think this is a pretty bad year to have the 101 ultimately. And if you can trade off of it, like if I could trade from the 101 to the 103, I'm probably looking to do that uh, in, in a lot of cases. 
So as Crane just laid out, you know, it's kind of context dependent who the one-on-one should be, depending on your league specs, just your team needs. But Kyle, I'll ask you this too, Denny. But so Kyle, do you have like though, like uh, just in a vacuum, do you agree with Crane that there's just no obvious with Brees Hall being the most obvious? That there's no obvious, or is there someone like if you have the one-on-one, you're like, I'm sorry, like I gotta go out and get this guy at the one-on-one. I'd say I'm marginally more confident in Brees Hall just because of how incredible of a profile he had and how valuable these like young rookie running backs who come in and get incredible workloads, even if they don't do a ton. Like Najee Harris is one of the most valuable dynasty backs instantly. And he wasn't incredible as a rookie. He wasn't going out and doing incredible things. He didn't look great when you watched him because his team was not very good. But just the workload we saw immediately said, oh, Najee Harris is like a top five dynasty back. And the room for growth was there because his team was bad and he just needs a better team around him. And I think Brees Hall fits that same profile. So I'd say I'm marginally more confident in Brees Hall, but he does have a good pass catching back in Michael Carter behind him. I don't think it's a massive impediment, but it's a concern. It's not like Najee Harris walked in like with nobody on that team. Brees Hall has more competition and it might be a season, half a season before we see him be like a truly elite pass catcher, which I think he can be, but it might be some time before we see that where we saw it with Najee early. So I would say I'm not as confident as I was last year. Najee wasn't my favorite prospect, but it was obvious. Fit was there. Role was there. Pass catching was there. You take all that. I think Brees Hall is 80% of that. And that makes him confidently the one-on-one for me, but that's kind of what Crane said. In most situations, you take the one-on-one. If for some reason you were stacked at running back and you wanted to take what I would say is a better overall prospect, I think Traylon Burks is a really good prospect. If you wanted to do that and just bet on talent, 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 and wide receivers who probably are going to last longer in the modern NFL than running backs, I could get it. I would say 80 plus percent of the time you should be taking Brees Hall. And even Superflex, like Kenny Pickett, like congrats on getting... Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill for a decade, but that's to me, that's the upside almost, right? And like you can honestly kind of just find those guys, not on the waiver wire, but you can find those guys in the middle rounds. You can find those guys like, you know, Mac Jones. Mac Jones shouldn't have gone the 101, even though he did set up for a promising NFL career, and that has proven true. I'm not afraid of the team that took Mac Jones. Like I would say most of the time you should take Brees Hall. Traylon Burks is sort of an outside consideration, but I get it because he's really good. Denny, you've never not won a championship, so you've never had the 101. But if you had the 101, what is your lean? Yeah, if I was uh, a loser and I had the 101, I would take I would take Traylon Burks. I mean, the for the long for the long haul, you know, this year, like the 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 raw volume and the Tennessee offense probably will be an issue for him at times, like it was for A.J. Brown, even though A.J. Brown was was very efficient uh, when he was healthy in that in that Titans offense. But, I mean, the the production profile, I mean, you know, Crane wrote so much about uh, how everything popped. The intermediate game, uh, efficient on deep targets. Uh, he destroyed single coverage in college. Uh, you know, was a, was a, was a target, target dominator, unlike almost any prospect we've seen in, in recent years. And you put him in an offense that has almost no target competition. I, Robert Woods, okay, 30 years old, coming off the knee thing. Like, I, I'm not. I legit forgot he was on the Titans. Yeah, I'm not too. I, I, I actually saw some tweets, uh, some unfortunate tweets the other day. that said, uh, well, I guess Robert Woods is the uh, Titans wide receiver one now. And uh, I thought, I'm, excuse me, like, am I, is there something I'm not understanding about Traylon Burks? That, that, you'd, that, you'd have been better off saying Dez Fitzpatrick was this team. Yeah, right. 
Right. I mean, Robert Woods, probably a great guy, an excellent blocker, you know, and and, oh, and on, also man. a guy who can like take some handoffs, I guess, and, and do some reverse. Well, he actually is pretty good. This could be, it actually could be a real problem. For oh, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I think, think it'll be fine. I think yeah. Burks, Burks is set up. I feel, I feel like set up for the long term and in the post Derek Henry future, whenever that may be 2042. Right. I think Burks is, uh, it, it, his, his upside is just tremendous. I love him. I'll just say this is my quick opinion on the matter. The two people I want the most, like just not even thinking about needs, blah, 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 league specs are Traylon Burks and Jamison Williams. And if I had the one-on-one, like I'm sure I would like consider Brees Hall for a long time. Cause of course you have to consider the best running back, but man, I would just have a hard time probably not taking Traylon Burks and, Crane, just to close this conversation, I mean, would Jamison Williams be an absurd consideration at 101? Or like if he's like who your heart desires, would that be defensible or no? I think it'd be defensible if he hadn't torn his ACL. It's just so hard because like you have to think about I mean, I guess like know yourself a little bit because Jamison Williams, I would be shocked if he's worth the 101. Like if you let's say in November, you're able to figure out the worst team in the league, the guy who's likely to have the, the Superflex 101. And then you try to take Jamison Williams and offer him for his 2023 first. You're getting laughed at. Because by that point, Jamison Williams is probably like he he might have just come off the pup or something. He's not he's he's unlikely to hit the ground running as Jared Goff's deep threat coming off an ACL that he tore in January. It's just it's just not gonna be awesome as we're sitting here in the fall. That's not to say he can't be an incredible wide receiver, but he is, you know, he, he weighed 179 pounds of the combine. Maybe he's going to play once he fully recovers from the ACL. Maybe he's more like a mid one eighties guy, but he's not like the archetype necessarily of a future, like fantasy football year in year out wide receiver one. I, I think he could certainly be awesome, but uh, we need the lines to figure out the quarterback. Like they don't have a guy right now who's set up to, to maximize, the skill set of a Jamison Williams. So I, I think trade down, you know, if you want Jamison Williams, I think he's a great prospect. Uh, but I think you'll, in most leagues, you'll see Hall, you'll see Traylon Burks, you'll see Drake London, you'll see Garrett Wilson, and you'll probably see Kenneth Walker come off the board before Jamison Williams. So you could pretty easily trade down to the 104, 105, or 106. And still have a really good chance of getting him. Um, and I would say one thing to consider just in this conversation is, is how liquid is your, trade market in your league because if you're going to take Brees Hall I think you really do want the the trade market to be fairly liquid because you know the point about Najee Harris is a really good one Najee Harris worth a ton Javante Williams worth a ton right now but is that actually helpful like are you able to move those guys because if I had Najee Harris I would love to trade him right now like you've gotten you've gotten a profit I didn't really like what I saw as a rookie you know everything about kind of what I was worried in terms of the big plays it kind of all was he. I think he is who we thought he was, which isn't, in my opinion, excellent news. So, if you if you're able to take Najee, you're able to move Najee. You could do the same with Brees if you if you don't love what you see as a rookie. But you know, two years from now, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, J.K. Dobbins, like things can get pretty ugly for running backs after the after they've played two years in the league. So, uh, if you're thinking a bit more long term and it's a, a, a league that doesn't tend to have a lot of trades then that's another thing that might push me towards taking Burks or London or even Wilson. Just a bunch of great points there. And just a yeah, really great point 
with Jamison Williams that it's just going to be a slower burn with the injury. And of course, yeah, we almost didn't mention Jared Goff at first. We got him in there then. But even if you think he's a truly special player, you do have to accept that it's probably going to be a slow burn. And that's also, yeah, too, that his path to success, you made the point, he's, he's going to have to be a mold breaker, like the guy he's most often compared to, Tyreek Hill. Like his, I think we all agree, like his upside is stratospheric. But yeah, we, with those guys, we always tend to focus on the stratospheric upside and maybe not right. the concerning floor. I, I mean, uh, you know, Tyreek, this is something I forget sometimes. Tyreek had a lot of success with Alex Smith. You know, it, it didn't just come with with Patrick Mahomes. It didn't come out of nowhere. Like, oh, true, yeah. I mean, if you're a special player, you're a special player. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It, it can happen. That's true. There's a chance that he's a special player. So we will get to more Dynasty League talk in a bit. But first, Denny, I want to ask you, we understandably spent the weekend obsessing over the new rookie fits, but who do you think the, the biggest veteran uh, winner is coming out of the 262 picks of the draft? Like who survived like a challenge, quote unquote, someone we thought might be in trouble after draft weekend, but it's coming out looking pretty good. Well, I mean, you know, Michael Pittman got zero target um, <clears throat> target challenge, you know, in the draft. I mean, he's he comes out of it, I think, looking like the the alpha type that that we thought he could be in that offense uh, with an upgrade at quarterback. Uh, he, he, he comes to mind, uh, you know, there was, I know there was a lot of talk about among Colts, Colts beat writers saying, you know, they should go in on a receiver trade up, you know, in, invest in someone who could be on the other side of Michael Pittman for, you know, not just this year, but going forward, you know, to make that duo didn't happen. I think that, you know, just volume wise, that could be, well, that should be really great for him. Although they didn't get zero competition. I mean, they did add Alec Pierce, right? Correct. Well, but correct. he's he's a downfield guy. He's going to be kind I, of I a, think rock, it's, a high ADOT guy, which is not a great fit with uh, Matt Ryan. But. I think it's better for Pittman that they added Pierce than, the, than if they had added no one. Because Pierce is like a competent, capable deep threat. I think he's right. going to like, – you can't just ignore Alec Pierce if he's running go routes. you you got to cover that. He's very athletic. And that's exactly. what he did in college. So that's great. Michael Pittman was best as an intermediate target. Um, I think sometimes we think of him as, as kind of a deep threat, right. but he's probably best if his ADOT's around 10, 11, getting kind of more intermediate targets, and Alec Pierce should help stretch the field and make those easier uh, for Pittman to get open on. Yeah, I think I think sometimes uh, we you know we see guys drafted and we and we say like, oh no, you know this this means that this guy's going to be drawing a certain number of targets, going to take away from from my guy, from the guy I wanted to have you know, no competition. And, uh, that, it, uh, that's, a, that's a good point. And if you can upgrade on T Y Hilton, who has been contemplating retirement for three years, then I, I think that, I think you do it. And I think they did. And I think that they, like, like Crane said, it's a, it could be really good for getting Pittman into favorable situations. Yeah. It's a really great point about you want a target equilibrium where you never want too much, but you don't want too little target competition. Otherwise your TJ Hawkinson in 2021 where like a team can just roll all of its coverage your way and you're just kind of screwed. So yep. yeah, that's always a good point to keep in mind. Kyle, who was a veteran winner in your opinion? I have James Conner. I know you guys don't like James Conner. We're talking about this in Slack. You guys think well, we, we joked about Kyle is too young I, to remember that James Conner is actually bad. Last year, me and you had, had, had a battle. Yeah. I was team James Conner. I, I'm, I'm totally that was James last Conner. year. Before you saw him play really well at the Cardinals. I get it. If you want to say he's injury prone, like I'd already sure. seen it he... in my mind. <laughs> I, all right, you know, I'm going to head out. Crane has already. <laughs> uh, I get it. If you want to say he's injury prone, I, I can't fully push back against that. 
that does seem to appear to be a, a roughly correct argument, even if we concede that like injuries are somewhat fluky. I don't care about that, right? Like when he goes down, you are just picking some scrub off off the waiver wire. Dearness Johnson randomly getting 22 carries. We want big, valuable weeks from our running backs, and he won't be that expensive, and he has no competition. And we saw him last year when he had no competition, Sands James at Ed- Sands Chase Edmonds was just incredible in his final seven games. He missed two of them, I believe, but in his final seven games that he played, he posted a, a, a 32, 341, and three receiving line. And it wasn't just like they were dumping him off, they actually lined him up like in the slot out wide just a little bit. And you saw him looking really good as a pass catcher. And the worry was that they weren't going to believe he could hold up. They would add basically just Chase, Chase Edmonds 2.0. And then uh, he becomes that early down grind that we saw for like eight or so weeks. Touchdowns, nice. But no, he has the peak of valuable touches. He is a big banger who can put into the end zone, get you those sweet touchdowns. And he's really nice as a pass catcher. We saw that last year and we knew that coming out of college. We saw it again in Pittsburgh. He has been nothing but a really solid, not not great. He's not, you know, he's not Christian McCaffrey, but he is a capable plus pass catcher. And we saw them use him that way that last year. If he just does that again, even if they give some carries to another running back, touchdowns plus targets like that is just money for fantasy. The only thing that I'm not sure about there, Kyle's, is the he won't be expensive part. Where do you think the ADP settles in? Because it feels like I wouldn't be shocked if he was like the 207 or something. Wow. Oh, really? I was thinking like four, five, six, no, somewhere I, in the like six. the David Montgomery. I think people think I think the projections like- are going to are going to be they're going to like him. The projections liked a player like David Montgomery last year, though, because you couldn't give anyone else in that backfield anything. They had no one. Like, Tariq Cohen wasn't going to start the year playing, and I don't think he played at all, in fact. And uh, it was like uh, the old Chiefs back, right? So I think they view him kind of – I think people will view him maybe like a plus version of David Montgomery. But, like, if you took David Montgomery's role in an offense that wasn't atrocious, he should have been like a second or third round pick, but people think he's bad or whatever. So maybe David Montgomery plus, because what Montgomery was like, fifth round i think if i remember correctly right so yeah. maybe uh, hold on i think it was a little higher than that yeah it was the right. exception because he's he well i was part of demont nation i didn't really want to be but uh <laughs> he he was a guy i mean every year david montgomery is like the classic guy like well the adp doesn't really match the potential workload seeing as he's going to get basically every touch but no one wants to take him I don't think it was quite as low as the. I have no idea why we're litigating David McCurry's twenty. Either way, though, I do think like I'd be kind of shocked if he goes. He feels like, like a he feels round. like a two three turn guy to me. That's where I yeah. think he'll settle in. Yeah, I would I, guess. I, I would I, even I, guess a little later. I would say I like, could I could actually five. see him falling more to the fourth because <laughs> I like him there. two threes like, the oh. turn that sounds like like real like on its face. But James Conner is just even when you like even when the projections look great, he's gonna be the classic. Like in your head, you're like, I'm just gonna let someone else take James Conner. Like, yeah, screw this. All right, I don't I like know. that. I, 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 I mean, if he falls to the fourth, I'm all over. I'm all over James Conner. But the the Cardinals' backfield with Kyler Murray back there produces a lot of expected points for for running backs and has for a couple of years now. I I feel like it's a little bit like a Fournette situation. Like even if you know, I, I, we went into last year thinking, okay, well, Fournette's nothing special. So, like, of course, Gio Bernard is going to eat into his role. Of course, Ronald Jones is going to eat into it. And then he, you know, he comes out and and is probably one of the most valuable players in fantasy. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing with James Conner, where like nothing jumps off the page except for my film take on James Conner is he looked a little, a little, he had, he had a little more juice last year than I remember him having. Maybe he lost some weight. I don't know. He was but, just healthier. Uh, for he was a banged while. up. Yeah, he's banged up the year before. Yeah, yeah and, and I so I I I found him very impressive. I 
I would be very happy to to take him in the fourth round of 12 team leagues. Yeah, three. last ADP I could find on James Conner or on uh, David Montgomery from last year was three four turn, like almost on the dot at three four turn. And I think people are going to think like they kind of are similar in a way, but I think James Conner is better. And he plays the thing is, I got to say, plays on offense that is better. If if Kyle, if you're in, if Denny's in, and if I'm in, he's not going in the fourth. Like we're the guys who are supposed to be like, you can't take him there, you yeah, can't yeah. take him. If <laughs> we we're in, true. he's going. He's going earlier. Really, really good. Yeah, if we're in, like we're the guys who would be like laugh yeah. and, and you know th- you're the market noses up at a, a running back in the third fourth round <laughs> we're the so guys who get who get skittish about taking running backs so we're, yeah you're the guys who give people permission to take james connor there's like probably you know like an average joe out there who like loves james connor but thinks like the experts quote unquote will like humiliate him and laugh at him and scold yeah. him and like get his and wife to I leave would. him and if normal. he takes james connor but you're all saying take james connor He's like, well, my wife is going to stay with me if I take James Conner. I mean, look, so. if you take James Conner in the second, I may come to your house and laugh at you. But, but you know, the fourth is different. <laughs> Crane, do any other veteran winners come to mind as we wrap up this conversation? I mean, Darnell Mooney, my God, like, it's going to be hard to not project him for a lot of targets. I don't know what the Bears are doing. I mean, the Justin Fields, we, uh, we'll have to get to on the losers. Uh, I mean, I know what the Bears are doing. I'll say with Justin Fields is I think it just reeks – of a new brain trust, not thinking Justin Fields is the long-term yep. answer. So they're, they're not investing in Justin Fields. And it's kind of the classic, like if he overcomes these awful circumstances, then great. We were wrong. He's awesome. Then we'll build around Justin Fields, but they're giving I their first round pick to Davis Mills treatment, which is good and smart. And I like it. You should do that. I think it's one of the worst team building decisions I've ever seen. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's smart. Atrocious. To me, it's like clearly what they're doing, that they don't believe yep. in Justin Fields. And they're like, well, if this dude is good enough to overcome this crap we're giving him <laughs> this year, then great. But, but, but not, so what if they on. don't believe in Justin Fields? Because if you don't believe in Justin Fields, you need to get your roster ready for a new quarterback. So you should be drafting receivers and trying to build up the offense around this guy for the future that you know, you're eventually going to have. And also like, wouldn't it be nice to be able to trade Justin Fields? Why do yeah. you want to expose Justin Fields and make him look as bad as humanly possible? Like, right. just get the offense in a place where a quarterback can come in and have success. I, it seems like they're sabotaging Justin Fields. I mean, it's it's really strange. Like, what the Jets are doing makes so much more sense to me. You're going to figure I, out if Zach Wilson stinks. If he stinks, you know it's him. You know it's not the offense. You know you can move on. And the next guy's going to come in, and he's going to have two awesome wide receivers and Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. He's going to hit the ground running. He's going to have a competent tight end and Rucker. I think the Jets, the Jets are running circles around the Bears right now. Oh yeah, like it, sabotaging Justin Fields like the perfect way to put it. And it's exactly what they did last year. They didn't even develop an offense that was meant for Justin Fields because they thought Andy Dalton would start seventeen games or something. And they're doing it again this year, even though it's a new regime. So the ghosts of the old regime are still like hanging large over this team. So I agree with Pat. I, I already sorry that <laughs> I, I think they are just like. Well, if he succeeds, despite us not trying to let him succeed, then we know he's the answer. But that's not smart. And I don't think Darty would ever say that that's smart. But that is very much kind of the vibes I get. And and like I said, it's what they're doing with like, it's what you do with Gardner Minshew or Davis Mills. Where like, I don't think he's the answer, but if he really does succeed, we give him another chance. We give him another chance. You don't do that with Justin Don't do it to anybody. No. Why do that to any human being? Yeah. <laughs> are we i don't know the bears really would disagree with that I, I, i've seen this argument from bears fans who are 
you know, inexplicably defending their draft, which was atrocious. Bears, Bears fans defended the last regime too. So I'm okay. I'm not, yeah, right, uh, right. When when do they you know get get the get the idea here that they're oh, the ownership hires bad bad people, not bad people. You know, in no, no, you mean it. No, it's fair to it. say. Yeah, they, they're sabotaging a, a perfectly nice, not guy. good human. And so, but they, but I've seen this argument several times now that wait a second, they love Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Uh, uh, consulted and was in on these draft picks. Well, that's an indictment on Justin Fields. <laughs> like that doesn't make him. That doesn't make anybody look good. What are the reasons? Yeah, yeah they took the twenty-five-year-old receiver. Is just because he really liked him? He looks. Look, don't don't even don't say if it's true that he was in on it. Don't say it. You can't admit that publicly because it makes Justin Fields look even worse than he did than he did. I oh, mean, yeah, he wasn't in on it, in on it. Like they probably gave him like like mug shots of a bunch of defensive guys, and we're like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like we talk about, like they, they had a horrible, like abrupt uh, talent at receiver, and they take essentially a kick returner in Valus Jones in the third round. But the offensive line was really bad last year, and I know the defense also needed improvements. But the thing is, when you have a quarterback you have already invested so much in and has so much potential talent you kind of have to let the defense go by the wayside to find out if said quarterback is the right quarterback for you for the next five, 10 years. And so they take cornerback safety kick return. And finally in the fifth round, uh, the fifth, a fifth round tackle is almost nothing. You might not even make the roster. So the line remains terrible. The receiving core remains terrible. And that all comes off of a free agency period where they also did nothing. The rumors that they didn't believe in Justin Fields didn't start in the draft. They started when they traded away Khalil Mack, when they didn't make any big free agent signings. They spent the whole offseason as if they're just giving up already, waiting for 2023. I would think it's safe to say it's not rumors. They don't believe in Justin Fields because like the actions do to speak louder than yeah. words. Yeah, they clearly don't. And I'll say too, one more thing, but I think one more, sorry, Crane, I think one more defense they'll put out is that this roster was so bad. I mean, for years and years and years, the old regime quite literally would have like four or five draft picks. Like they didn't even have, this roster was to the point where it didn't even have like enough like NFL level guy. Like they quite literally every year would be down to like four or five draft picks after all the trades they would make. And so like, I think they probably just view this as like a really painful, like we got to like refill the coffers here with some NFL talent and not saying it's right to neglect your second year top 10 quarterback. But I do think that is what's happening. But I mean, the offensive line point Kyle was making is such a good one. Like we've seen, we've seen guys, you know, better quarterback prospects than, than Justin Fields, at least in the NFL's eyes, you know, fail because they, they couldn't be protected. We saw Trevor Lawrence struggle as a rookie in a really bad situation. And, you know, he was considered this, this incredible uh, rookie quarterback prospect. So it's like the thing about setting another quarterback up for success. Like, I really believe that, like, it really doesn't matter if you believe in Justin Fields. Like, you know, you like either you need to help this quarterback you believe in succeed or you don't believe in him and you know you need to figure it out at quarterback, meaning you're going to have to have a good situation for another quarterback. So it, it just really doesn't matter. No, and it, we just saw a team that did this Justin Fields approach the last time they had a franchise quarterback, the Jets and Sam Darnold, and it scarred them for life. And now they're doing the exact opposite with Zach Wilson. Yep. As you hinted yep. at, it's like, oh, yeah, when you – draft a top 10 quarterback maybe you should want them to succeed yeah it's how the bills treated josh allen too they kept spending and spending on their offensive line but yeah. they drafted in free agency then they traded for stefan diggs and we're like oh wow how are they gonna how's that work you know i don't know if stefan diggs like good match for josh allen but whether or not that was true they gave him every chance he needed to succeed and it worked and the thing is had it not worked and had josh allen still been bad 
if they were smart, they draft a quarterback the year after Josh Allen completely flames out. And then he is set up for success taking over that role. But either way, you have a quarterback who is either good now and you ramp up and you go, or you are one to two years away from inserting the quarterback into a great spot, which is why I think the Lions kind of had a really good draft, right? Because they like they have spent really one or two years building up a team that has a really good offensive line. They're finally getting some good receivers and their defense is terrible, but they're at least trying to make the defense better. In a year or two, if the Lions are like a you know 500 plus team and the Bears are still terrible, I kind of think that's more likely than the other way around. Another thing about the the situation is like a quarterback could become available, right? Like Lamar Jackson has not signed a long term deal. What if he hits the free agent market and you've got this incredible situation? Yeah. You know, the Jets could be like, we have all the receivers <laughs> you could possibly want. We're bringing in Lamar. Like you set yourself up for you know a, a quarterback to want to go to your team which the bears i mean who who in the right mind would be like i'm going to the bears yeah, yeah we saw that with the broncos even we're like they were kind of treading water but they had the yeah, offensive exactly. infrastructure in place yep can we, we talk about wilson. zach wilson for a second is 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 it were you going to get to that uh no i don't know you can talk uh no <laughs> one's i mean it's this i'm told we're a country of free speech and of laws <laughs> and a constitution so if you want to talk yeah. about zach wilson i think ahead. you were told that by a star nfl receiver on twitter <laughs> Yeah, I was. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, you were. <laughs> now that the, now that the speech is free, I I, I want to say that the the only time the Jets were even remotely successful last year was when they were, you know, for for lack of a better term, hyper conservative on offense and hiding Zach Wilson at at, at every point. Right. Uh, um, I'm not saying that there's no room for growth. Okay. Obviously, there is room for growth. Hopefully, for Jets fans. And for these two great young wide receivers, he can he can get better uh, during the offseason and and maybe uh, be less in 2022. But the 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 team seemed last year offensively very focused on on hiding him, on making sure they weren't throwing when they didn't have to throw. And so I'm I'm just I'm I'm wondering like are they going to embrace that or are they just going to have these two, you know, really good, uh, an, uh, amazing duo of receivers? just doing not much in, in an offense that will be designed to win 17 to 14 rather than actually trying to score points. I think, it, I think that's what it's going to be Denny. I think, it, I think they're going I'm for skeptical. 17 points. I do. I mean, it's called the, the Brian Flores approach. No yeah. offense to Brian, but, um... but I mean, I don't know. Zach Wilson was so bad last year that like maybe in a couple years, we get to a point where he takes, where he's actually able to support like, one and a half fantasy options. But I, I think for now, just also what we know about, you know, that that Shanahan tree offense is that they're usually quite quite fine playing for 17-14 wins. Changing gears, Kyle, who do you think is the biggest veteran loser coming out of draft? We I wish there was a less harsh word than loser there, but which veteran saw their fantasy uh, value dinged the most over draft week? And someone we might have liked going in, but we have to reassess going forward. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Justin Fields. But say besides Justin yeah. Fields. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing is we, we and it's, it's like it deserves its own conversation, how they're treating. Because it's not just Justin Fields as a fantasy loser. It's an organization that doesn't really know what they're doing at all. And so we'll we'll move past them as an organization. Josh Jacobs, uh, we saw them not pick up his fifth year option. Not awfully surprising. Actually, it kind of stems from another organization that has now changed over hands as the Bears did, but they don't seem to be acting like it. Uh, but has now changed over hands. All of these first round picks they had from like the Mac and Amari Cooper trades, not getting their fifth year options picked up. Josh Jacobs is like a year away from being how we view like Chris Carson right now, who also is a loser of the draft. But I just think at this point we saw 
a decent amount of him improving as a pass catcher last year, but the team didn't really seem to care too much. They draft Samir White in the fourth round, and then strangely, they go back to it and take UCLA's Britton Brown in the seventh round. They also will be getting Kenyon Drake back, who's banged up all of last year. I really think we were kind of fortunate to see Josh Jacobs use as a pass catcher last year. We'll see less of that this year, less of his dominance of the carries this year. He'll be a free agent. So if you have him in Dynasty, like you get one more year of RB26 numbers. And at that point, like he could be one of these running backs who's waiting until the summer for free agency. He has no market for him. And we're thinking, well, like, who, where's he going? Is he going to be a backup? Maybe he's a starter. I don't think he's a starter. So I think we're a year away. And it's a shame because I think Josh Jacobs is like a pretty solid back. But the way the Raiders are using him and the way they're using their capital tells me that they have zero faith in him. And when one team has zero faith in him, it does seem to cascade towards other teams, especially the running back position, which we see less and less free agency investment in. Like we're, we're probably a year away from him being a, a backup plus, a 1B maybe. Crane, who is another veteran or just second year player who saw their dynasty or not dynasty fantasy value really dinged over draft weekend? I mean, Michael Carter, you know, that's that's one of the biggest ones. That's the uh, lead. Yeah, he's I, I think it's really unfortunate because he played really well last year. Um, he showed more than I thought he would. And this is a huge deal. He's not. He's not going to like come out of this. Okay. Uh, it we is sound a bit like reminiscent. we're talking about like a <laughs> personal friend who died. By yeah, this sounds like a terminal yeah. illness. He acquired some <laughs> recently in his lungs or something. Well, Danny, you had the tweet of uh, you know, the way to get good at a game is to to do it until you don't enjoy it anymore. And this, I guess, it's a little similar. I'm actually like grieving about this. Uh, it does remind me of of Gio Bernard when they drafted Jeremy Hill, but this is like a much better version of Jeremy Hill. And, you know, Gio Bernard for uh, for the Kyles of the world was a quite a like a surprisingly good rookie running back. He was kind of seen as someone who'd probably be like, I mean, it's very similar to Michael Carter, a pass catching specialist. And then he was like the, the running back his rookie year. They bring in this two down guy in Jeremy Hill and and Gio basically morphs into the Gio that now we're now familiar with. But I think Carter is probably morphing into that type of player but he's now behind a guy who profiles is quite capable as a receiver i actually don't you know it's this isn't great for Brees hall either because if you look at his yards per out run and stuff he's kind of more in the cam acres like mold of a guy who we expect to be just fine as a receiver but not someone that they like need to have on the field as a receiver so i would not be shocked if Brees hall ultimately becomes like a two down guy you know josh jacobs was supposed to be like a receiving specialist receiving specialist if anything you know and he ends up getting used as like a two down workhorse type guy so this would not be even close to like the weirdest usage that we've seen from a team if they kind of use hall as mostly a two down guy and and they continue to use carter as a receiver but but carter's you know he's in a tough spot Denny, who is a veteran who saw their fantasy value grievously injured over draft weekend? I don't know about grievously, but like it wasn't great for Antonio Gibson for Washington to, you know, spend, you know, not not insignificant draft capital on, you know, Robinson at Alabama. Like it's just it's just constant this constant messaging from the franchise that like we don't we don't see Antonio Gibson the way that you fantasy football people uh, see Antonio Gibson, and that's unfortunate because it feels like it sure seems like Antonio Gibson could be a dominant every down uh, back in the NFL, 
Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen as long as he's with the commanders, as we call them. So, so yeah, I, it, it's it's not that this draft pick means that and you have to like slash Antonio Gibson's projections <laughs> across the board. <laughs> you, but it's a ding. It's a ding. More than a it's ding. Enough, it's enough it could be ding. worse, though. It could be wor- Brian Robinson's like. Yeah, wait a second. No, no, I don't think it's a massive. Well, I think, but Denny, you think it's, it's Denny, I'm going to cut you off there, Denny. Uh, where you made a really good point where it's not just this pick. It's just like the whole environment around Antonio Gibson. Yeah. And it's not a, a, a nothing pick either. I mean, you you can debate the player like Karain did, but it was a third round pick. You know, they get a second chance at J.D. McKissick and they didn't pass it up. They bring back J.D. McKissick. And that is coupled with the fact that he was playing hurt, of course, but you know, he didn't have a good year in 2021, Antonio Gibson, where I think it's like with Gib- Gibson at this point, we kind of have to believe what our eyes are telling us where he wasn't good last year. The team does not seem to believe in him at all, let alone as a three down back, even as like, like the only early down back, they just seem like they view him more as like a strict part of a committee. And they're like that ceiling that was so easily like projected. Cause you know, he's a pass catcher. Who's also running back. Like, I just think that's gone. And we kind of have to just, we have to, we have to adjust on Antonio Gibson. Yeah. This is something that Josh North don't know what happened to him. I think he probably just retired or something, but it would tell us that teams give us very few chances to tell us what they believe, right? They can spend the whole off season coach talking, leaking rumors, but then they have gains and then their money and their draft capital to tell us what they believe about their players, their team and how they view football. And they spent all of last year with Antonio Gibson banged up, never throwing him the ball, despite he literally played wide receiver in college. So they don't think he is a good pass catcher. At least they don't want to use him in that way. Maybe it's just a touch load thing. They spent all of the past since he's entered the NFL, making him a committee back. Then they give him someone after he's banged up last year to maybe take off some of the between the tackles work. They have told us very clearly with no exceptions. They don't think he's a three down back. And maybe they don't even think he is a full on one, two down back. Maybe they think he splits one, two downs. So I love Antonio Gibson and I'm right. I'll never be wrong about Antonio Gibson being a Christian McCaffrey level player, but Washington really does not think that. And they're the ones who get to give him their touches. I think we have to uh, take an oath here right now uh, saying that we will not blurb anything that comes out of Washington this summer that says we see Gibson as a CMC type back. We, yeah, we, we refuse to one blur because... moved his, his ADP like 12 to 13 right. picks in the first three rounds. Well, because I mean, but basically it can't be true. Like yeah. it literally like That's you, the can't, thing, it, folks. It, you can't match. We're mere vessels. And if they say it, we have to post it. Then, but then we attach oh our analysis it's... and we're like, we're not believing it this year. We're not touching the stove, no matter what you say. All right, all right, we, but we have to make the headline as snarky yeah, as true. Possible. Very good. That's a good negotiated settlement right there on our summer Antonio yeah. Gibson. Denny's, you guys don't even need the lawyers. Look at that. that say Denny's got really good lawyers where he can just do it himself now. <laughs> they're right here. They're, they're whispering <laughs> in your ear. Camera, but yeah. We will be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. 
The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, the Premier League, or the PGA Tour and NASCAR circuit. Crane, who is the most dangerous rookie in this class? Like the day two or three pick that we might follow too far down the rabbit hole, like a guy where we overlook like obvious red flags, like say they're a fourth round pick or say they weren't productive in college, but we like love everything else about them. Who do you think is like a rookie from this class that we're, we're primed to like overhype ourselves on? I think the way this class is structured is that you have depth at the wide receiver position and the running back position is a bit weak. So once you get past Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, you're at risk of getting overly excited about basically whoever you say next. I'm already overly excited about Rashad White. So he's certainly someone that you know could be that guy, only a third round pick. But I also think Damian Pierce comes to mind is someone who, you know, hits a depth chart where there's going to be opportunity. Fourth he rounder was not, for the Texans. Fourth rounder for the Texans. He was a committee back. He didn't really do that much in terms of, like, even his per-touch stuff isn't ideal. He scored a lot of touchdowns, though, but it was a high-scoring team. And he – I mean, I think he's fine. Like, but the the tape is, like, pretty strong on him. Like, people get excited about kind of the way – you know, he, he, like, runs through guys and stuff. He's going to be fun. But he's like the exact type of guy that worries me when he starts to get more expensive. And I think he will. Tyler Algier is a guy that I really liked before the draft. He now hits the Atlanta depth chart. It's going to be very easy to start talking yourself into him as like their lead running back. I probably will be doing that to myself. But that's another type of situation where you want to just try to keep it cheap on these running backs. There's no running back outside of the top two. I... Rashad White's pretty great. So I kind of include him in that, in that, like, he's like in the little tier of his own. But really, after that, there's really no one, like, statistically who pops. And it's really just kind of about, you know, situation and stuff. It's really good that we turn the conversation about, uh, you know, guys may want to temper expectations on guys who are <laughs> high risk. And it ends with Crane being like, you know, this one guy, though, let's, let's all agree to make an exception, which I also like will have to rein myself in because it's a great, profile and fit for the bucks but it could it will get it will get expensive if not could get expensive it will it's the same thing we talked about with james connor when all of the you know running back poo poo losers are saying this with this one running back though is the exception he's gonna get expensive rashad are you talking about in Dyna dynasty i'm talking yeah. more dynasty but yeah you know i think okay. if rashad white goes in like the one 10 range or something that's fine if it starts to get up above that i think it's it's a bit much but the other guys i mean he at least was a day two pick the other guy and james cook you know you could argue for as well who's who was a round two pick but you know if you're looking at like isaiah spiller he would be another guy that i think people might get a bit too hyped on tyler algier pierre strong damian pierce like all those guys they're, they're day three picks. So, you know, I think like second round rookie picks is what we want to be spending on that type of guy. On the other side, who do you think, I'll leave this one open to anyone. Who do you think is someone where we might focus too much on the perceived red flags and like maybe ignore what is really solid real life draft capital? Like say someone with Kadarius Tony last year, or you could argue how that turned out, but someone that no one, won it at all in dynasty like he felt like the second round in some rookie drafts because just of where he ended up you know it's kind of like weird profile where he wasn't a college receiver even that long who do we think is someone 
that we, we might focus. Like, are we going to like, Denny, I'll just ask you with Washington, are we going to like focus on the negatives with Jahan Dotson? And, you know, we don't like the quarterback. You know, the team is always p- poorly run. Like Terry McLaurin's already there and an alpha. Like, or do you see any positive arguments you made for John? Just, who do you think is someone we might get too negative right. on instead of like ignoring yeah. some pretty clear positives? Right. I mean, Dotson came to mind because uh, he was summarily dismissed as like a, a terrible pick an overreach going to a bad offense with, you know, like you said, McLaurin in the, in the, in this wide receiver one role, but really, you know, if, uh, if the, if Washington can, you know, throw a little more this year and remember last year, their most success came when they absolutely grounded the passing attack. Okay. And, and uh, they, they gave Antonio Gibson the ball like 30 times a game, no matter what. Right. And they were winning 14 to 12 and whatnot. So, you know, but you can't, that's not sustainable and you can't do that. You can't, you can't rely on that. That can't be your, your long-term plan, even for the commander. So, uh, you know, in a scenario where they, they use Wentz as, you know, I believe a, a pretty significant upgraded quarterback. I know he's bad, but Tyler, Heineke, yeah. Taylor Heineke had no, no business he starting. He was a meme. Come on. Come on. Okay. So, so he, he's Heineke was worse, way worse probably than, than Wentz. If they can pass a little more, if Dotson can, you know, take that every down roll on the other side of McLaurin where defense is, you know, shading over to McLaurin, making sure he doesn't burn them deep. Yeah, Dotson should should have some decent opportunity. I could paint a, a somewhat positive picture for Dotson. Crane, do you think, do you have anyone else come to mind on someone where we might like harp on the negatives and just let fall way too far in rookie drafts? Wandale Robinson. I think he, it, you know, he's the one who came to mind when I asked this question. He was. The I was going to ask you, Crane, to do the Wandale Robinson speech because I'm torn on him. I, a lot of good and a lot of struggling to understand it. So I was, I was literally going to pitch this to you, lob this softball to you. I would also say I think Dotson is is very much this type of guy too. But but Robinson, I think, is even going to have like a harder time from you know the guys who are really into dynasty are also going to be like LOL on Wandale Robinson. So. I don't think I don't see him becoming expensive. You know, uh, the the things to like about him are that, you know, first of all, he's an early declare wide receiver. He was very efficient in college uh, in terms of yards per out run. He broke out. He, he cleared a 30 percent dominator rating. He had a 35 percent career market share of yards, which is which is really, really strong. I mean, I've been going on and on about Traylon Burks and how you know productive he was over the course of his career. Thirty six percent for Burks. Wando Robinson kind of has everything that we're looking for in terms of the production profile stuff, except he bombed the combine. And part of that bombing the combine was him being uh, uh, eight and, uh, and change and 178 pounds. And so, and he's got, you know, at a career eight out of 7.8, he's like a little gadget guy. He's probably going to play in the slot, like, or be kind of like a Tavon Austin type thing. So that's not, it's not like a high ceiling type of player archetype. And therefore, I think it makes sense to discount, you know, the production profile because you're not really getting like, this isn't a guy who's playing on the outside with this production profile. It's kind of a lower ceiling archetype with the production profile. But, you know, there's slot receivers that are pretty good for fantasy. And I, I do, it does feel like he's almost going to get treated like Tutu Atwell did, where people are just like almost at no price. I'm not really interested 
and he's 178 pounds, not 155 pounds or whatever. I think there is a big difference between him and Tutu. You know, if in a super flex leagues, if he's going to be like in the late second round, I think it's a really, really nice value. Looking beyond the dynasty league angle with this rookie class, Denny, which first year player do you think will have the biggest redraft impact in 2022? So it's easy to get like lost in the dynasty talk. Like who has the most career ceiling in this class, but just who do you think is going to hit the ground running? off the bat in 2022 uh i mean it would seem to be Brees hall right i it just i i don't want to i i want to say burks but it it, if burks had landed in a a different you know more uh balanced even pass heavy offense maybe i'd say burks but i think you have to say hall i think you have to say that uh the fact that they spent that much draft capital this year it may you know makes them makes us believe that they don't see michael carter as a legit guy, as a legit, even a two, a two down back, not forget the three down role. And, and that they would like, like we talked earlier, and I think there's some agreement here that they would like to run an offense, a run based conservative, slow paced offense. That's great. That's great for, for, for Brees Hall. It stinks for uh, otherwise, but it, uh, it, it could be really good for his, for his volume. And, and, you know, he has the profile, the production profile where, you you have to think that he could he could do a lot with uh with with, with that bad many for touches. the country but good for Brees Hall is what you're saying. There you go, Kyle or yeah. Crane or Crane, you go. Well, I think I actually think that both Burks and London have the potential to hit the ground running if they're good, right? Like if you're because the the articles I did <laughs> last year that's bad news for Drake London. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh. You know, the articles that I did last year on on rookie production really showed that like basically none of these rookies, like even the ones that you would expect uh, to get like a ton of routes right away, they all have lower routes than you would think. And I think it comes down to like, OK, if you're Devontae Smith um, and you're coming into a situation last year where like you're clearly going to be the number one guy, we knew he was going to be the number one guy. And he was the team stops passing a ton. They're like, this isn't working. We're using a rookie wide receiver as our number one guy. We're going to go run heavier than we otherwise might. Right. And in other situations, you know, the, the rookie has to kind of earn their way onto the field a bit more on more pass heavy teams. It's just very rare where you see the combination of a team that's passing a lot and the rookies like the number one guy. But efficiency is kind of what leads these rookies to have really productive seasons. So I actually think Burks, you know, is in a really good spot actually for efficiency because they're going to run a bunch of two wide receiver sets as they always have done. And he's basically in a position to to take over a lot of the AJ Brown role when AJ Brown has been off the charts in efficiency. So if Traylon Burks is good, I think he can be very efficient right away. And from kind of what we're looking for in terms of rookie production, he can pretty easily clear that bar. And I feel the same way about Drake London, where you know they're gonna. I mean, Russell Gage. Like if you take Russell Gage target share and you give it to Drake London, like that's pretty sweet for a rookie, um, especially if he's able to add efficiency in terms of uh, yards after catch getting used on some screen passes and the contested catch stuff downfield. Yeah, Crane, you make such an important point there that we just see time and again that opportunity is just never enough in and of itself with the rookies where every year like, well, the Cowboys have no choice but to give 130 targets to Michael Gallup. You know, that was a big one a few years ago. And just like it doesn't matter if they're not efficient. And like then eventually, too, if they're not efficient, the opportunity declines. And so it's something that's like you can like something you can take under consideration but you just cannot you know, lean on that as like the cure all. Like they have no choice because actually they do have a choice. They can run the ball. Like they yeah. ha- they're not just going to be like you know. And it's similar for Washington, right? Where it's like 
Terry McLaurin was able to power through terrible quarterback play, but it got to the Taylor Heineke level and they're like, we're just not going to pass anymore. Kyle, do you have any 2022 thoughts on these guys? Like someone you expect to be a big part of the 2022 season or just a a different player or just echoing thoughts than anyone we've talked about so far? Yeah, Brees Hall is like the obvious one. I think he easily deserves to be the highest redraft drafted of all the rookies. But I actually think the, the landing spot for Traylon Burks like isn't really that bad given the massive void uh, of targets they have losing whatever games we saw from Julio Jones, more importantly, A.J. Brown. And although like, yes, they do run a lot, the portion of the pie matters and the portion of the pie that is available is unreal. And unlike, you know, a, a team like, you know, Washington or the Jets, Ryan Tannehill is good. He's not good, good, but like he has been hyper efficient, especially not last year when he didn't, when he was throwing to like Chester Rogers as his top receiver. But the two years before that, he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. And it helped that he was schemed perfectly where you could draw defenses in with an efficient running game and then just take sick, deep play action shots. But it worked well for him. And when they have a top receiver, if Traylon Burks is that guy, which is kind of always the caveat, you still have to be good. You just don't get free targets for nothing unless you're Kelvin Benjamin. But if Traylon Burks is good, he will play enough of that A.J. Brown role. Not all of it. You don't get to replace A.J. Brown one for one. But he will have enough of that physical athletic build that he does do some of the stuff we love about the Titans offense well. So although, yeah, like Titans, you know, I'd I'd like you to throw a little bit more, especially, you know, one of my favorite receivers, Traylon Burks in the fold there's so much volume up for grabs there and it's relatively efficient compared to a team like detroit the jets whatever that like Traylon burks should to me be very clearly the second highest rookie in redraft we all man just please Traylon be good because we got a lot riding on it and when i see Traylon burks man i just see Darren mcfadden who can actually go side to side that's what i see with Traylon burks look the zoomers look it up if you don't know who darren mcfadden is we're near the end of the show here but we haven't talked about quarterbacks at all. We haven't talked about tight ends at all. Is anyone in this group excited about any of these quarterbacks, either from like a rookie redraft perspective or a long-term perspective, or do we just agree with the NFL's assessment with where they drafted these guys that it is just a horrible quarterback? I kind of think Matt Corral, especially when you look at like what we want to get from, you know, these day two or even later for some other players, rookies, like, I don't think Matt Corral is going to step in and be an elite player, but the fact that he plays on a team that actually has like not a completely terrible offensive line, they're not great, but they at least have like decent tackle play and they have really good receivers as far as some of these bad teams go getting DJ Moore as your number one, Robbie Anderson, not bad as number two either. Like, it's a spot that is not doomed to failure like Justin Fields is. So if he's good, he should be able to win that job relatively quickly because Sam Darnold is bad and he's been bad every single snap we've ever seen him almost (laughs) since joining the NFL. And Matt rule saw that last year. And although he didn't like, they didn't have the capital, the, the cash to move around and take, you know, an elite stab on a quarterback, but we knew they needed a quarterback and they at least tried to address it. And when they're Owen three and Sam Donald is playing bad, we're not going to see the fourth or the fifth week of Sam Donald. So especially more of like that super flex type i think people discount him really specifically because of the draft capital but he's a solid quarterback prospect i think especially when you look at like his sneaky athleticism he had like well over i think a thousand rushing yards over his final two seasons double digit touchdowns on the ground in his final season as well i believe like that will give you some like solid fantasy weeks especially in super flex if he's your second quarterback for pretty cheap in like super flex dynasty drafts or even super flex redraft drafts yeah, I thought Matt Corral was like the faster and smoother version of Kenny Pickett. I really don't understand how Kenny Pickett ended up like consensus ahead of Matt Corral in the NFL's eyes. But well, I think it, it seems like he slipped a bit due to you know 
like mental health stuff, right? Like teams were really discounting him due to that. And in my mind, I mean, I don't know a, a ton about the situation, but I, I'm I'm totally down to bet on Macarell. And so, you know, if he emerges and um, beats out Sam Darnold as I expect him to, I like him more than Kenny Pickett in, in a starting role. So um, I, I totally agree with Kyle. I think Matt Corral is a really strong bet. And to me, a cut above Desmond Ritter and maybe like a cut and a half above Sam Howell, who I really like as a prospect, like, but the NFL does not like him no. clearly. Um, and that he's at the type of situation where like he could play, you know, five games this year, let's say, and look pretty good. And then they draft a quarterback in the early first round next year. Like this draft capital, it's like he has to be outstanding to even get a shot in 2023 or at any point almost. So um, I think Corral's a cut above. And then uh, Malik Willis. I mean, like if you told me that we were going to get a year of Tyler Huntley starting for a team within the next like two to three years, I'd probably spend like a, a late first round uh super flex pick on that like <laughs> like i don't i don't care if malik willis is good i just want him on the field for like 16 games at some point in the next couple of years and i think we're gonna get that i think you know before the end of like 2024 we'll get we'll be up to like 12 plus games of malik willis his skill set's so perfect for fantasy it's not just the rushing it's that he throws deep he connects uh he has a beautiful deep ball at times i know he's not like the most consistent guy but he's gonna hit big splash plays downfield and he's gonna run around and he's gonna he's gonna rush for touchdowns so um still want malik willis you know and i think around kind of the 110 111 range in in super flex drafts i'm I'm starting to want to draft him and malik fell but he like stayed within range he was a top 90 pick and top 90 quarterbacks typically get a chance at some point those aren't usually ones who can like consign to like the never playing Ben for their career. Like he'll get a, a shot at some point. The, the Titans strike me as the kind of team that won't try to shoehorn him into a certain system that they will like go with the flow. Like the Ravens did with, with Lamar Jackson when they benched, remember when they benched Joe Flacco and they were like, well, we're doing a whole new <laughs> offense now, completely different. I could see the Titans doing the same. I think that they're, that, that Vrabel and them are, 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 are savvy enough to do that. And that's great for, uh, for Willis's. Yeah. And Denny, the Titans are, despite having like a retrograde reputation on offense, cause they love to run the ball. They're at, they're like pretty aggressive, at least in terms of like, they'll like move on yeah. from someone quickly. And like, mm-hmm. if they think like Ryan Tannehill, yeah. like has f- officially run its course, like they're not going to like belabor the point with Ryan Tannehill. If he's not playing great football, even in 2022. Um, so I think like you could count on the Titans to like when it's time they're not going to wait any longer than they should. They're, when it's time, they're going to give Malik Willis a shot. Yeah, if, if Tannehill looks the way he did in the in in the postseason last year for a, for an extended period this season, I, I think I think we, we're going to hear a lot about Willis mm-hmm. from both the you know local media and and national uh, football. Crane, media. are any of these tight ends worth getting excited about? It's a very very low wattage tight end year. Um, is there anyone any names we need to? Like really know in Dynasty or any names we need to know for 2022 redraft. Yeah, I think uh McBride landed in a in a decent spot for his long-term value. You know, we know that the Cardinals will use a tight end. Uh Zach Ertz revived his career there. So um I don't think for redraft Trey McBride's gonna be that interesting, but uh this was a pretty good spot for him. And the second round draft capital was nice. This was a class where we thought maybe there wouldn't be like a clear 
you know, tight end that the NFL favored, and it might just be a bunch of third round guys. So for him to go in the second round, be the only guy to go in the second round, uh, had me bump him above Greg Dulcich, where I had Dulcich ranked ahead of him pre-draft. But Dulcich does still interest me. Um, you know, I think he's he's in a decent situation as well, um, and he'll Denver have good Broncos. quarterback play. Yeah, Denver Broncos, and uh, you know, you uh, talk to Thor, uh, who did we did a space spaces after uh, day two of the draft. And he's basically like, you know, Albert O, he's done. Uh, Greg Dulce is just coming for him. And I actually, the way I view it is, you know, they might want to play, maybe they want to play like some power play action football stuff with two tight end sets, right? Um, and Dulcich is a classic move tight end. So in that scenario, he's Mark Andrews and Albert O is kind of Hayden Hurst. And they're going to be uh, using using Dulcich as kind of a, a Mike Jasicki, big receiver type. And his receiving skills are really strong. So I really like him still. Uh, he gets the third round draft capital. Um, I, he can totally emerge from that. He's tied to Russell Wilson long term. I think both those guys um, make sense to prioritize a bit in your rookie drafts. Not super psyched for them in redraft, but uh, you know, rookie tight ends rarely do much. With the Broncos and Dulcich too, I think it's acknowledgement. Like Alberto is, you can't count on him for seventeen games. Like it's just never been his pedigree in the NFL or even in college. Like he just. I mean, maybe it's been bad luck, but he's not been a guy who's made it through a season without getting injured. So the Broncos, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a lack of faith in Alberto's ability, but maybe it's like a hedge against his durability. And we kind of had a freewheeling conversation here. Does anyone have any thoughts they wanted to get in but didn't get in? Or are we good? Okay. How excited are we about Rashad Bateman? Are you guys excited? Because I'm excited. That that name doing, didn't come doing up. Doing this again? It's a, it's a, what do you mean doing this again? Don't doing this again, this nonsense with me. He was hurt. He didn't play, like, he didn't get any practice reps in the summer because he had, I think it was like a groin thing. And he comes into an offense he hasn't played, yada, yada. I don't care. I'm mostly throwing away the rookie season. Uh, but that's also because I thought he was a really good prospect. And if I didn't think he was good, I would be like, didn't play well his rookie season. He's not going to do anything. But I'm going to write him a pass yeah, right. because he was incredible in college. Just, you know, the perfect analytical darling prospect, right? The breakout age, the dominator stuff, the history of production looked great. Now they have an offense completely vacant of any wide receiver talent that isn't him. You can throw Mark Andrews in there, a very good pass catcher, although not listed as a wide receiver. But yes, I, I will. Uh, this is a bag I'll be pumping. Well, because. I, I will say. Well, I just want to make the point that they were, you know, if we're talking about what teams are telling us. They traded Marquise Brown day one. They could have easily gotten more wide receiver help. They got a bunch of tight end help instead. I have to say on the on the flip side of that, uh, I am maybe too excited, weirdly, into Marquise mm -hmm. Brown uh, in, the, in the Cardinals offense. I, he enters the Cardinals offense with a declining DeAndre Hopkins who skated by on insane touchdown production last year ah, you know he's a, he's a big receiver he's never been one to like to dominate opponents he wins with like you know a, a very like nuanced sort of sideline grabs that you know make you jump out of your seat but like he I, I, he it strikes me as a situation where he Hopkins will be drafted as the wide receiver one in Arizona I don't know if that's how things will fall though I think I think Brown has a a, a decent chance to usurp him as well, the wide with Hopkins is that that's the thing. He's like, he had to physically dominate, but he didn't like blow by them. He had to like use his body to win yeah. hand fights. And those players tend to age kind of poorly. And Marquise Brown is exactly. like uh, something the Cardinals have not been able to like settle on their deep threat, like the entire cliff uh, Kyler Murray era. Right. And 
And also, Kyler is a great deep ball thrower, extremely productive, one of the highest EPAs on on 30 plus yard uh, uh, throws in the past two years. I it, it fits really well for Marquise Brown. So say you guys okay? You made it through an, the entire pod without talking about Sky Moore. Um, oh, I mean, I, yeah, I want to talk Sky Moore. I, I was waiting, Denny, for you to you to bring I up thought, the uh, the shower narrative, the college shower narrative. I thought we had thirty minutes. I thought we had thirty minutes on Monday, all blocked off for Sky Moore. <laughs> so Juju, I had down as a as a loser here, which is my was my um, covert way of of trying to talk about Sky Moore because like the the question that I keep thinking about with the chiefs is how does how do they deploy these guys because juju i mean if juju has to go to the outside for like half of his snaps so that sky Moore can come inside that's bad for juju i mean he's not been anything but a, a slot receiver uh basically his entire career i think that on the other hand i think it's pretty interesting for sky Moore that like he's not going to take 100 percent of his snaps in the slot that would be super weird uh he's going to get a chance to play on the outside as well which i think is awesome for him so uh sky Moore's a winner juju's a loser <laughs> There you have it, folks. The final, final word on this 2022 rookie class and the veterans, they are usurping really great stuff. Just great stuff on the site, all draft week, a lot still relevant. Go check out all of our, our blurbs. We have a profile on all 262 draft picks. We're going to be getting a lot of dynasty league content from Pat. A lot of st- stuff every day from Denny. I've been telling Denny, like Denny just writes every day. Um, Kyle's been writing every day, every day too. Um, yeah, Denny just writes every single day. Yeah, so I have two. I have two coming up next week. Just to put it out there, I have one on uh, uh, veteran uh, winners and losers. Uh, you know, maybe I will repeat some of some of what has been said today, uh, and then um, and then I have a piece on the best deep ball throwers uh, over the past couple of years and how that might affect receivers in twenty twenty. Awesome stuff. So keep it locked to the site. Look out for all of our articles we got coming. Check out everything. We've already posted. We got more podcasts coming this week. So for Patrick Corain, for Denny Carter, for Kyle Dvorak, I am Patrick Darty. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.